In the 1970s and 80s, a monster hunted the Connecticut River Valley. Seven bodies found, one survivor, and no suspects. I'm Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. I was seven months pregnant and stabbed 27 times, and I survived. My story didn't end that frightful night. This attack on me physically and mentally lingered for years. I'm Amanda Bedard, and I'm Jane's life coach and co-host of Invisible Tears. Jane is ready to share her story, and not just about her attack, but her healing process afterwards. As a platform for truth and healing, we are on a mission to help others that suffer from PTSD and help bring awareness to mental health issues. To hear my story and others, you can find Invisible Tears wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Welcome to another episode of Twisted News, where we dive into a couple of disturbing stories from anywhere around the globe. I'm Andy Fitzgerald, and in today's episode, we're going to cover two stories that deal with a family member who killed. The first is about a husband and wife whose relationship suddenly came to a very bloody end. And in our second story, we'll learn about two parents who were on the opposite side when it came to their child. One was seeking the truth as to what happened to them, and the other one was trying to keep a dark secret hidden. Before we dive in, I want to invite you to check out Scary Mysteries on YouTube, because there you can listen to all these horrifying stories along with amazing visuals. And for even more stories from us, go check out our podcast called Every Town, because every town has a dark side. Now, Get ready for Scary Mysteries, Twisted News. Number 1. Man Stabbed 140 Times It's normal for people in a relationship to have arguments and disagreements. Parents and their children, siblings, couples, friends. Everyone has their fair share of quarrels with one another, petty or serious. But what's not normal is when one of the two parties becomes violent, especially if that violence leads to a gruesome death. Recently, on the evening of February 11, 2022, 41-year-old Richard Green walked into his parents' house in Palm Beach, Florida after a long day of work. However, someone other than his parents welcomed him. It may sound like a cliche, but what Richard saw was like a scene from a horror movie. Smears and splatters of blood on the cabinets, counters, and walls of their kitchen. A pool of blood was on the floor, covering almost half of it. And the source? Richard's stepfather, 62-year-old Melvin Weller, was lying on the floor, possibly dead. In no time, Richard was on the phone with 911, and he reported the gruesome scene that greeted him when he went in. The dispatcher asked him if he noticed anyone else in the house, A few seconds passed before Richard replied that his mother was also at home. When the cops arrived, more of the gory scene unfolded. Blood splatters were all over the kitchen, a clear indication that there was a violent struggle that happened. There was also a blood-stained garbage can on the floor, and its contents were spilled. Bloodied broom, mop, 
A dustpan and other cleaning stuff were found near Melvin's body. There was also a trash bag that contained a blood-stained nightgown and a cell phone that possibly belonged to Melvin. A knife and a meat cleaver were placed on the sink, again, both covered in blood. The authorities started to search the house looking for more clues as well as to check on Melvin's wife concerned about her welfare. When they reached the main bedroom, they found her lying there on the bed. Fortunately, she was conscious. The police described her to be alert. When they approached her to ask about what happened, she didn't respond. They noticed that she had cuts on her hands, particularly on her palms, and they immediately sent her off to the hospital to be evaluated. The wife, 61-year-old Joan Burke, remained silent, but it didn't take long before the investigators were able to piece together what exactly happened to Melvin. The man was known to be physically disabled and had difficulty walking, as well as having poor grip strength. Based on the evidence in the kitchen, despite Melvin's disability, there was a high possibility that he fought back his attacker as much as he could while he was being violently attacked. The autopsy report showed that he was stabbed 140 times. And, as if to make sure that he was truly dead, the meat cleaver was then used to smash his head. There was only one suspect, and it was Joan. There evidence for this? The injuries she sustained from the stabbing. Investigators revealed that it's normal for a stabber to receive cuts on their hands and palms. As the blade starts to get soaked with blood, it can become slippery. This may then affect the grip of the stabber, causing the blade to slide and slice the palms of the attacker. There were still no clues as to what caused the vicious attack on Melvin, but his lawyer, attorney Nicole Hamill Scott, had something to say about the crime. Firstly, Melvin actually filed to divorce his wife. Attorney Hamill Scott was the one handling Melvin's divorce proceedings. She even added that Melvin had mentioned that as soon as the divorce was over, he would move back to Jamaica and spend his life there. Secondly, the couple actually owned substantial real estate assets that possibly amounted into the millions. Thirdly, Joan's pension from working as a licensed nursing assistant. According to Florida law, all the assets of Melvin and Joan would be split equally among the two. This would also mean that the pension Joan was receiving from her job as a licensed nursing assistant would also be split equally between them. It was also revealed by the attorney that her team was investigating one of the properties of the couple that had a quick claim deed. Apparently, Melvin's name was removed from that deed and was replaced with another person's name. All this information, while true, is yet to be investigated by the authorities. Joan was arrested on February 20th and was charged with first-degree murder. She is now currently being held in Palm Beach County Jail without bond. However, it's still difficult to imagine how all these could be factors as to why Joan brutally murdered Melvin. Could it have been the outcome of deep-rooted hate? There is obviously a lot more to this case than what is being reported just yet, and still difficult to determine at this moment, as Joan is yet to speak about what actually happened that fateful day. Number 2. Daughter's Killing 
Parents are expected to love, nurture, protect, and support their children as they grow up. Sadly, though, there are circumstances where the child suffers from the hands of those who should be caring for them. What's even worse is when the child is ignored or shut up when they start to seek help from the community who should be looking out for them. One child that experienced just that was Andrina Bowman. She was 14 years old when she was reported missing by her adoptive parents, and it took more than three decades before the truth about her disappearance was finally revealed. On March 11, 1989, the local police from Holland, Michigan, received a call from a man named Dennis Bowman. Dennis called in to report that his daughter was missing after coming home and not finding her there. He also said that some of her stuff and $100 in her dresser were missing, which led him to think that she must have run away again, possibly to a friend's house, which was typical of his troubled daughter. Dennis was told to make a round of calls to Andrea's friends and classmates to ask about her whereabouts. The police were given the assurance that he would. In the following days, Dennis's wife Brenda kept in contact with the police giving them updates regarding possible sightings of their daughter. She also corrected the supposedly stolen amount from Dennis's dresser from $100 to $150, and this gave the police the opportunity to issue a warrant of arrest for Andrea for committing larceny. Years passed, and nothing came of the missing persons case or the arrest warrant. Andrea was never seen again by her family or friends, There were, however, numerous tips that Brenda reported to the police. They included Andrea possibly being pregnant, having changed her hair color, or hanging out with a strange group of young men. All these supported the speculation that Andrea had indeed run away from home, and the police then forwarded her case to the Youth Services Bureau. Fast forward now to 21 years, sometime in April of 2010, Kathy Turkinen from Massachusetts received a letter from a social worker who explained that the infant daughter she was forced to put up for adoption more than 30 years ago had gone missing in 1989 when she was reported to have run away from her adoptive Michigan home. Her daughter was none other than Andrea, whom she originally named Alexis. There were no helpful leads since she had gone missing, save for a new one that the police thought could be a connection. A Jane Doe was found in Wisconsin in 1999, and they thought it could possibly be her daughter, and DNA from Kathy would definitely help in identifying the victim. The name of Kathy came up because of the promising discovery that forensic sketch artist Carl Kopelman presented. Somehow, it seemed like the two women had a lot of striking similarities, and the authorities agreed with this, thus initiating the contact with Kathy. Kathy's DNA, though, didn't match the Wisconsin Jane Doe, but the search for what really happened, Andrea started. Kathy and Carl decided to pair up to learn more of what actually happened that day back in 1989, and after years of research and further investigations, with the help of a private investigator and Andrea's old friends, Kathy and Carl were finally able to pinpoint their suspicion to the man who reported his daughter missing, none other than Dennis Bowman. Months before she went missing, 
Andrea was able to tell her friends that her father was sexually abusing her. There was also a report where the police went to the Bowman's residence to check on the allegations of abuse in the house. They proved it to be false and nothing came of it since. However, these anecdotes proved a different angle to Kathy and Carl, and they were convinced that Dennis was their suspect. Apparently, Dennis was actually convicted in 1980 for assaulting a teenager who was able to escape him. He only served the minimum sentence despite getting the evaluation that he would definitely be a danger to women if he ever left prison. In 2019, Bowman was arrested for a different case. Using DNA analysis, the investigators were able to link his DNA to a break-in, rape, and murder crime that happened in Virginia. In February of 2022, the police were able to excavate human remains in the backyard of the Bowman's residence. By March, these remains were finally identified to have belonged to the long-lost Andrea Bowman. According to his confession, Dennis said that what happened to his daughter was an accident. She apparently fell down the stairs and broke her neck after he slapped her during their argument. And to cover up for the crime, he reported her missing and made them believe that she'd run away. But the circumstances contradicted his story greatly. Investigators believe that Andrea might have threatened to tell the police about what Dennis did to her, so he killed her. He even brought her dead body to their newly purchased property to keep the crime for as long as he could. Brenda claimed that she knew nothing about this despite not believing Andrea's accusations regarding her father previously. Finally then, on February 2nd, 2022, Dennis was sentenced to 35 to 50 years in prison for the murder he committed towards his adoptive daughter. He was already in prison for the past violent crimes he did to women and has been serving two life sentences and 20 years for those crimes. So there are two of the most horrifying cases we have for this week. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please stay tuned for more. Kindly also check out our podcast, Every Town. There we dive deeper into some of the most disturbing crime stories in the U.S. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you again soon.